0: So would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter three, and we've come to verses 19 through 22. The message is simply this, then why the law? We are as involved in the law as Israel was under the old covenant. Here is where we are having studied previously with regard to the promise that God made to Abraham. It was a promise, an unconditional promise. It was a promise of grace. It was a promise of an inheritance. It was a promise of righteousness. It was a declaration of righteousness. The Bible simply says, and Abraham believed God. God gave this promise to Abram, called him out of Ur the Kali. He gave him these promises about An inheritance, an old man who didn't have children. It was the Word of God, and to a natural man, I suppose what God had promised seemed impossible, but not to a man of faith. And so the Bible simply says that Abraham believed God and God credited it to him for righteousness. God just declared in heaven for all time. Abraham believed the word of God and the promise of God, and God declared Abraham to be righteous. Of course, to remind, <clears throat> to remind us, the situation in, among the Galatians was that the Judaizers had come in behind the Apostle Paul and had troubled the Galatians with a false gospel. There's only one gospel. Justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. You cannot do anything to work yourself into salvation. You cannot work in your life to keep your salvation. It is all in Christ. He does all the work. So then, the Judaizers were seeking to convince and thus had bewitched, using Paul's word, the Galatians that they had to add elements of the law. They had to do something in order to be saved. We've seen the great, the great argument that Paul has placed. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the irrevocable word has led us then to this. Okay, saved by grace through faith plus nothing, all in Christ. Then why the law? Think about it. Uh, before this uh, pandemic thing, we were studying Exodus uh, on on Sunday night in our Bible study. We studied the giving of the law, how Israel was separated as a nation, and God gave them a covenant that He would be their God; they would be His people. And then the 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 law was not unconditional. The law was conditional: if you will, then I will. And you must before I will. It was sort of like that. Now that's not an unconditional promise of grace. That's a conditional promise of works. There was a purpose behind it. We'll see today, God willing, as we study these verses in Galatians 3. So the Mosaic law came hundreds of years after the Abrahamic covenant was made. So here's a a seemingly... New, new kind of covenant or an additional, additional covenant. Paul is declaring what the whole purpose of the law was for those hundreds of years. Through Moses, God placed Israel under the law. This was a law specifically for Israel. Now, of course, sin existed before the law. But the law had a specific purpose designed so that we could really understand God's purpose in grace. So then, okay, here we go. Then why the law? Number one, it was added on account of transgressions. Israel constantly broke the law even though they declared we studied this in exodus whatever you tell us to do we will obey uh, they had hardly journeyed from that spot toward the holy land before they had already begun to worship a false god the the, the, the golden calf and they had all kinds of bickerings between one another and uh, Uh, they had troubles with one another. They never kept the law. Doesn't matter what the Pharisees thought in the New Testament era. They never were able to keep the law. Why the law? So that we could understand the definition of sin. And so that we could understand that we're all sinners. And it's part of our it's just in our fallen nature to be a sinner. We can't save ourselves. If anyone could have ever saved himself or if any group of people could have ever saved themselves, according to works, it would have been Israel. Here's why. God specifically had this relationship and he specifically spoke with Moses and sent him to talk to the people. Through intermediaries, he gave his law and the law then was declared uh, before the people. And all of this elaborate system was set up. So there was a, there was a priesthood who would, who would teach about the law uh, and the rituals that, uh, that the people performed. Um, they, they, they had prophets. They had everything as a separated people to put them on a path of salvation by works. And the problem was they became so arrogant and filled with themselves that they actually thought they were saving themselves. So, you know, it starts out you won't have any gods before me, and it didn't take them long to break that one. Don't have any idols. Don't worship an idol. It didn't take them long to break that one. Uh, Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, if you've. If you've ever mentioned him in worship and then broke one of the first two, you've already broken that one. And then uh, the Sabbath day to keep it holy, there was one constant struggle and argument over the law of the Sabbath all the way to the time of Jesus Christ. They declared through the traditions of men and what would become the Mishnah, and the Talmudic writings, that uh, that the Sabbath was to be defined or the Sins against the Sabbath could be defined in hundreds of ways, and it was literally impossible for any single person to remember all of those regulations, and they didn't even come from God, they came from man. Then he goes on from there you don't kill anybody. Israelites, from time to time, were guilty of murder, even though they were under the law, understood the law, had the law taught to them, and in their worship. They worshiped God according to the law, yet still they killed. Of course, they, they, never, they never maintained an honor to their forebears, their mothers and their fathers. Thus, they finally lost the land. Part of that, the conditional part of the promise was that you honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long on the land. Well, they failed. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, You know, you, you shall not bear false witness. That happened all the time. And then you shall not covet. You think about this. Why was the law given? It was given because of sin. Who could have known that some of those things were an offense to God and caused us to be rebels against God? Coveting, for example. Now, there were... There were certain codes of law that uh, were similar to the Ten Commandments in in previous civilizations prior uh, to the time of Moses. But they they weren't complete, nor were they as focused on the offense against God as a law given to people from, from some sort of magistrate. Hardly ever did you, you never saw, for example, a law against covetousness. That's one example. Of course, you never saw, because it was a pagan polytheistic culture outside of Israel, you never saw anything about not worshiping another god or setting up an idol or, or maintaining a, a special day or taking the name of God in vain. You never saw any of that. How can I know I'm a sinner unless I am confronted with God's standard of sin? And I look at that list, just 10, just 10, do these 10 things, just 10 of them. Do these 10 things. And Israel, of course, thought that for the most part they were obedient to that. But it de- defines sin against God, sin against fellow man, and even sin against yourself within your heart, of course on the uh, on, on the in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ more deeply focused how rebellious we are against God when he said you've seen it these things you know if you, you you've seen it writ- written that you shouldn't kill, but if you harbor hatred in your heart you've already killed. You've already seen it written you should not commit adultery but if you've already lusted after someone in your heart you've already committed adultery. I mean you just, you're just messing up all the time because we are, fallen. we are a fallen race of sinners. We're depraved. There is none who does good, no not one, not any of us, but the Lord Jesus Christ, virgin born, blessed Savior, King of Israel, Son of God, only begotten Son of God. That's why he came. We'll talk about that in a minute. It was added because of transgressions. In other words, God says, I want you to understand specifically why you are a sinner. It was never given for salvation. As a matter of fact, through the history of Israel, God proved how impossible it was to obey the law, to be perfectly obedient to the law. We start out deceiving, bearing false witness, dishonoring parents before we can even speak the language. We're we're toddlers and we're already sinning. So we're born into this sin. The Bible teaches us that you only have to breach the law one time, regardless of how minor it may seem. But once you breach it one time, you are a sinner and the, the, the death penalty is on you. If it just stops there. If it's all law and no grace, it stops there. So here's why the law is given. It was given on account of transgressions. It defines sin from heaven, from God. And it declares us to be rebels against God, outwardly and inwardly. And it also proves to us that it cannot save anybody. Israel proved that. And it's in their hundreds and hundreds of years under the old covenant in the Bible. They proved that the law was only to define sin. It was just a threat. It was all about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. There was nothing beautiful and gracious about it. So why then do we have the law? We have the law because God has defined for us what sin is, sin. I I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook. <laughs> I would never know some of the things going on in the lives of my people if it wasn't for Facebook. That's the truth. They don't, they don't call the church office anymore. They just put it on Facebook. So, uh, I, you know, I could have missed a funeral or something if it wasn't for Facebook. And I have current church members. I have previous church members from previous churches on Facebook. They've asked to be my friend. I always check it out. I, I want to make sure that it isn't Abdul Jabbar pretending to be one of my former, you know. And I check it out, and when I'm convinced that this is this is valid, I'll I'll respond and befriend them on Facebook. And people can be fools. They make people their their friends, <laughs> and then they they play the fool in the world. They do worldly things, brag about it on Facebook, and I say, Pat, it'd be so so and so former church member man? Yeah. Acting like the world. A fool of the world. Sometimes they will, they don't have to spell it out. You can see it. They're committing adultery, they're fornicating. They are reveling with sinners in drunkenness. These people are supposed to be Christians. Listen, you're going to have a surprise someday when you look around and all your Christian buddies are gone. The Bible clearly defines sin. You claim to be a church member and a fine Christian. You're out there just living in Unmitigated adultery. Don't feel anything wrong with it at all. It's just part of life. There's something wrong. If your religion didn't change your life, then you need to change your religion. Why the law? So that God could write it on a mirror and I could look at myself with those inscriptions and I see my sin all over the place. Thank God, when I'm saved, he deposits the Holy Spirit, and now I have a new life. It's not like the old life. I have new responsibilities. I have convictions. God himself, via his Holy Spirit, is living right here, walking with me, talking with me, watching me. And I understand that as a Christian and I'm not perfect even now and never will be perfected until the time of glorification. But I'll tell you one thing in my life, I am constantly reminded of my sin and I cannot walk with my head high. I can only try to walk humbly with my God. So thankful So mindful of how far away I was from God until he reached down through Christ and brought me to himself. Things that used to be important, one by one, they're just falling away. They're not important anymore. Here's why the law. So that God himself through his word, could look us in the eye and says, if you do any of these things, you are guilty and worthy of death. And if you don't have a savior, I'll kill you. I'll kill you forever. You'll burn. That's what God says in his law. This is why the law. Maybe we don't preach the law enough. The law can't save you. But it can drive you to the one who can save you. And then you're changed. You're born again. Values are different. Begin to mature in the faith. Study the word and see the importance on an increasing rate, in an increasing way, in a crescendo of life. Begin to see the growing importance of being more like Christ and being obedient to him and his word. How would I ever know? We live in an amor- amoral society. I never thought I would. Well, I mean, you know, I have to tell you, I grew up in church. I, you don't even think of the things that people do now. You couldn't have, you didn't even think about stuff like that. How do they invent these things that people do? Because there's no limit to the depth of, Of degradation and sin and deprivation, depravity. There's 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 no there's no depth too far that fallen man will go. He just keeps that's why God said before the flood God lamented over man and his sin and said, Man's every thought and imagination is only to do evil continually. it's not that way in Christ and like Lot in Sodom our souls can be vexed and troubled why? because we're mindful of the law of God the perfect standard of righteousness and we're, we're collapsed in God's presence saying oh God I'm I'm part of all this stuff, and I want it to stay away from me. Strengthen me and guide me with every step of the way because your law otherwise will crush me. This is why the law. So that once I'm saved, I can have more strength than I ever had before to seek to be obedient. It's hard. How do you stop a thought? Jesus said your thoughts condemn you. How do you stop a thought? You ever tried doing that? Or hit your head against the wall? I don't know. How do you stop a thought? You know, you could just have a, be having a good day and all of a sudden a bad thought runs through. Ooh, that was a bad thought. Lord, help me. Please, I don't want to keep thinking about that. If you harbor a bad thought, it becomes worse. If you're not careful, it'll become an action. It'll become a behavior. And then it'll become a stronghold in your life. You can't harbor, you know, they're there, man, they're there. You ever had a guy pull out in front of you? What's the first word that runs through your mind? Well, maybe I shouldn't go there. <laughs> I just revealed what was the first word through my mind, I guess. and i recognize how evil i can be because of the law of god he has a standard of righteousness that even though israel was placed in this as perfect as could be setting even israel could not obey the law we cannot that's why the law it was added on account of transgressions but it had a lifespan It would expire. The law would. It expired. Thank God. Until that seed should have come to whom the promise has been made. Blessings of Abrahamic covenant, blessings of Davidic covenant, blessings of new covenant. They all rest in Christ and upon Christ. He is the perfect. He is the last Adam. He is the God man, the perfect man. And he came from heaven to be our Savior. The law just condemns me all the time. I run from it, I fight it, and you're the same way. We're all the same way. And seek to do the best that I can do. But I cannot, it, 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 it is useless without Christ in my life. I have no strength of my own. Only Christ. So the promise of the inheritance that he mentioned a few verses earlier. Which is the promise of salvation and inheritance to be with God forever. That comes to rest upon the seed. All of these transgressions, all of the law... Is added until Christ. Let me tell you something. The world. The history of the world. Proves this. Christ. Prophesied the destruction of the temple. A scant. 37 years. After his ascension into heaven. The temple was leveled. All of the records of genealogy with regard to the Israelites, all of their genealogy of which they were so proud. Oh, they could trace it all the way back to Abraham. They were all destroyed by the Romans. There is no priesthood today. There is no place for a temple today. There is no sacrifice made today. Because all of that expired. It, It had a lifespan until Christ And he fulfilled everything. It's all gone. Because Christ has come into this world. On whom rests the great promise. In whom is the promise. So that all who are in Christ. Enjoy that promise. This is. Why the law. So that God's definition of sin. Could be proven. In the nation of Israel, that no one can accomplish the requirements of the law for salvation. It's impossible. It cannot be done except in Christ, to whom the promise has been made. The law also was like third hand. You see, having been ordained through angels in the hand of a mediator. Smoking, rumbling, quaking mountain, scary mountain. Moses disappeared into that cloud only because God called him, but he wouldn't let anybody else even touch the mountain. The Bible teaches us that God via the angels gave the law to Moses, Moses came down with the law that was given in the hand of a, a third hand mediator. But when God gave the promise of an inheritance, when God promised by grace to credit us with righteousness, when we believe God and we have faith. God did that face to face with Abraham. He didn't send a mediator. He did it person to person. The promise is personal, you see. The promise is we have a promise directly from God. We rest in that promise because God personally has saved us. He doesn't save us through some sort of proxy or third hand. The promise was first hand. The threat was third hand. And the promise is superior to the law. God always had presented it that way. It was always that way. So we have the promise personally from God. This promise Abraham was a sinner. He sinned after, after Genesis 15 when God created his life with righteousness. But he was covered with the righteousness that God had declared for him. And he didn't live the life like he lived before. He was no longer worshiping the moon god and doing the things that people did in the worship of the moon god, which was awful. So he obeyed God. He left where he was, going to a place that he hadn't even been told yet where he was going. And the pinnacle of his obedience was when he took his only son, Isaac, to offer him according to the command of God. That wasn't a work. Somebody well, that was works. No, it wasn't because it was faith. You go over to Hebrews 11 and the Bible says that Abraham was willing to stick a knife into Isaac because Abraham knew that God had made a promise with regard to Isaac and that God would raise him up from the dead. If he plunged that knife into him, he had faith in God. So the promise is a personal thing. And all this stuff that was in the law, even the moral code, all of those things have, have been accomplished in Christ. And Christ calls me to himself. And now in Christ, I enjoy this promise of the inheritance of eternal life that was given to Abraham. And as, as Paul will say in Galatians, thus we're all, if we're in the faith, we're sons of Abraham. Now, three more things. Therefore, is the law contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. There's no way that the law can displace grace. And here's why. In all of that proving ground, in all of the time of Israel, here we go. For if a law had been given that was able to impart life, indeed, out of the law would have emerged righteousness. But there was never, ever any promise that perfect obedience to the law would bring righteousness because it was not possible, number one. However, contrarywise, the other side of that coin is always there. He never said, you know, I have this for you. If you he, he said, you don't do it, you'll die. I'll take the land away from you. I'll take everything away from you. You'll die. It was just a constant threat. There was, there was never a promise of life in the law. Had life, could life, if life could have been imparted through the law, if righteousness then life would have emerged from that. Righteousness would have emerged. But it didn't. It only proved that we're sinners. So then what happens? The scripture imprisoned all things under sin. Under the law, we're in prison. The prison bars, the doors are locked. There is no escape except through faith in Jesus Christ. The Scripture imprisoned all things under sin so that the promise by faith from Jesus Christ might be given to those believing. The Scripture, the law, puts us in prison, but the promise received by faith sets us free. No longer imprisoned, no longer under the threat of death, but in the promise of life and inheritance in Jesus Christ. It is freely given to those who are believers, freely given to those believing. That's why the law. W.A. Criswell used to tell this story, This used to give this illustration And I understand the sensitivities of the day, but it is a powerful illustration taken from a page in history that teaches us why the law. In the olden days of America, pre-Civil War, a rich landowner had many slaves. Through the years, one of his slaves had proven to be the hardest working and most responsible. But he got old. And the old landowner couldn't extract any more days of work out of him. Having heard how bad his slave was, he went down to the quarter's to look for himself. This weak, old, trembling, dying man heard the voice of his owner coming in, stood by his bedside to see just how sick he was. The old slave said, Master, is that you? He couldn't see well. He said yes and he grabbed his hand. The slave grabbed the landowner's hand and began kissing it. The landowner said, why are you doing this? This hand has beaten you a hundred times. With tears in his eyes, the old dying slave looked up into the face of the landowner And he said, if it wasn't for the harshness of this hand, I would have never been driven to my freedom in Christ. Blessings on this hand, blessings on this hand. The hand of that old landowner was like the law, crushing, cruel, hard taskmaster without love or consideration that's like the law it could only crush and strike and threaten and even kill but it's that law that drives us to Christ because the law has revealed to us how deeply in sin we are and we can't escape it not I mean it's it's every day every minute of every day just those 10 things just those 10 things always there every day every minute to remind us of our blessings in Christ delivered from that in Christ would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came into this world to save sinners. Let me say to you who are here today, thank you for being here. As you know, during this time this, that we're living in now, we, we've changed up our invitation a little bit. And I want to say this to Every week in this time of invitation, you have three needs. Your first need is to be saved, to come by faith to Jesus Christ and escape the penalty and the punishment of the law. Your second need, after you're, sa- after you're saved, is to be obedient to Christ and be baptized. And your third great need is to be connected to a local church family, church membership. Now you might be here today with one or two or even all three of those needs. As you exit, there are two rooms and you'll see them. We have deacons and their wives waiting for you. If you need to set up on any of those needs today, they will happily talk with you about it. Okay? Quietly, would you prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, thank you for that hand of cruelty in the law that drove me to Christ. Oh God, give me strength in this present day. And this is such a day of temptation and wildness, almost without restraint. We see bold, blatant sin, open defiance of your law. And we have this wonderful message. Oh God, help us. Help us to know that our message is greater than their message and that their message will submit to our message, not because of who we are, but because of the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in these last days, use us until we are used up for your glory. And now dismiss us in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Tonight, we'll be here at six o'clock.